relationships are some of the most cherished and important, but they can also be the most challenging and painful. Let's learn together what the Bible says about the relationships that matter most and discover practical wisdom for a fulfilling family life. Vintage Church, how you doing? How doing all right? <laughs> well, it's so good to see you. Can you believe we're almost to summertime? How many of y'all excited about the weather? Come on, it's, it's getting better, getting better. Well, for those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and I've uh, been out the last couple weeks, and I got to say, our team did such a great job holding down our family series. Before we go any further, can we give it up for the great team that made that happen? Uh, contrary to rumors, I'm a lot nicer when I get regular rest, so thank you guys so much uh, for helping me do that. Super excited to actually close out a series, Can You Believe? We started six weeks ago, where together we've been opening up God's Word and getting His mind on marriage and family. And I believe like no other time in human history do we need God's mind in this extremely important area. And so I'm super excited to, um, I'm actually uh, going to close out the series here in just a few mo moments. But before I do that, this is also a special time because we're transitioning to a, another teaching series. Maybe you're new or you're just kind of getting started here. We actually teach usually in about five to eight week segments so that we can really lean in and learn specifically about one area. I'm so excited about this study called Unbreakable over the next seven weeks. We're going to be taking a look at the, uh, the character of Joseph in the Old Testament book, of, of Genesis. And it's an incredible story. There's more time given to Joseph's story than to Abraham. All right. And it's so, it's so encouraging because there's very few people in scripture that you can actually see their entire life. Like you usually see pieces of it, but in Joseph's life, we see his beginning. We see all of his ups and downs all the way to the end of his life. We're going to be leaning in this summer and learning what we can learn about what it looks like to walk through adversity as a man and woman of God over the next seven weeks. It's going to be a great summer series as you guys are having fun in the sun and going on vacations and hopefully slowing down just a little bit. Uh, we're going to help prepare you as we go into uh, this fall, uh, making you stronger. It's going to be really, really good. I want to encourage you to do that. You can also join a small group. It's a great time to jump into a small group. We're going to be digging deeper uh, from each Sunday's message into the different parts of Joseph's life. It's always a great time to hop into a small group at the beginning of one of those as well. We also have a membership university right after this service. Maybe you've been coming for a little while and you're liking the worship, you're enjoying the time and, and you really like this church. Can I just tell you what you've experienced so far is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that we do to help you grow as a Christ follower. And I want to encourage you, if you have not gone through Membership University, we have removed all the excuses. We're going to take care of your food. We're going to take care of the kids and it's going to be right after this service. So if you need to pull out your phone, cancel all your lunch plans and meet me in the annex right after service. It's going to be a great, great time. We've actually revamped the event just a little bit to be even more helpful in helping you kind of navigate what membership looks like here, and specifically uh, what we have available to help you grow. So I'm going to jump into the last week of our series, okay, uh, where so what we're doing is we're tying a big bow uh, on a series that has really made a big impact on me. We've learned about all kinds of things, how to deal with conflict. We were equal opportunity with men and women, how to be better men and women, husbands and wives. We learned, we've leaned in. How in the world can I end such a great series? Well, I know you're going to be very excited about this, but today I'm going to talk about money. Woo! Come on. 
Who's excited about that? You know, of all the things cited for marital problems and for the reasons of divorce, money is at the top of the list. And the Bible has a ton to say about how you and I relate to stuff. It's very, very important. Many people will say things like, man, it just seems like we're always talking about money. Did you know that Jesus talked about money and possessions more than faith, hope, and love combined? Jesus understood this reality. If you do not learn as a believer how to interact with resources and to steward your life God's way, specifically your stuff, you are gonna, you're never gonna live the life that he has for you, not completely. And so we're gonna talk about that. And I started thinking of all the things I could talk about, like what's the best biblical financial advice that I could give you? I had several options. They were really, really close. They didn't quite make the list. I could talk about saving systematically. How many of you know it's uh, foolish to eat everything that you have? You should save up for a rainy day. The Bible talks a lot about being responsible and saving. I certainly could have talked about that. I could have talked about what it looks like biblically to live within your means. You know, I mean, if all you do is charge credit cards and you're in enormous debt, that's not a medium to long-term strategy that's going to work for you well. I could have talked about that. The Bible has a lot to say about that. The Bible has a lot to say about what it looks like to invest wisely. The Word of God teaches us in the book of Proverbs that a righteous man or woman always leaves an inheritance for their kids and their children's children. It's a very, very good thing. We should leave our world better to our kids than we found it. I could talk about that. I could also talk about what it means to marry well. I married very, very well. And I would just encourage all of you in here, maybe maybe you have some people in here that are single, you should pay attention to who you marry. Particularly, maybe you go on a date and their last name is Gates, Walton, or Buffett. Come on, you should probably give them a second look. However, when I really thought and prayed about it, I'm not gonna teach about any of those things. I started asking myself and really thinking through, what's the one thing that I could teach you that would make every other thing in your life better? Not just financially, but every other place and space in your life. I started thinking about these major uh, things and themes in my life. And second to loving Jesus, giving my life to him, second to marrying my wife, what I'm going to teach you today is perhaps the single most monumentally, right, a great advancement of my life. When I look back and I think of all the things that I've done, good and bad, right, this principle has completely changed my life. We're going to talk today about tithing and the principle of first. Now, right when I said that, there are always three responses in every room that I get. There are always three people when I, when I discuss this, uh, there's always three types of people in the room. First, there are those that I'm teaching to the choir, you already tithe. You already do it. You've been faithful, some of you, for years. As a matter of fact, much of what God's done in our church is the, 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 the result of you stewarding and honoring God with your resources. And you're thinking, okay, I already know about that. But you know, sometimes you can be so faithful over a period of time, you, for, you can forget the joy and the why behind what you're doing. Matter of fact, we see this when Jesus encounters the Pharisees who got really, really good at the letter of the law, but they forgot and lost joy in the more weighty matters of the law. So my prayer for you today is that you would be encouraged and maybe reminded about the why behind what you do. It might actually change your attitude. You might take more joy than maybe you did before. The next group is what I would call the curious. Those are those of you that, you know, uh, you know, 
People get up and we talk about this thing called the tithe and putting around, putting aside the first, but you're, maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you're just getting back to church. Maybe you were never taught what the Bible has to say about it. And so you're just kind of curious. You know, the Bible says that his people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Did you know you could miss out on what God wants to do in your life just because you don't know what you don't know? That's actually the purpose of church, learning God's will and his ways. It's important that you know what God says about this principle. Then there are always those, when we broach this topic, I would call you, I would call you closed. So, right? so there's the choir, there's the curious, and then those are who are closed. And over time, over the last several years as I've taught this, we teach this about every 18 or so weeks. We bring this principle back because it's so important to our lives as believers. I always encounter people who are closed. And usually... And sometimes they, they, they quote different reasons for why they might be that way. Uh, maybe they went to a church where the church always talked about money. Maybe they went to a place where they looked around at maybe some of the things that money was being spent on and they, they didn't feel like they could trust how things were being stewarded. There are always those that maybe they were clicking through midnight TV and they got the crazy, you know, televangelist with the pinky ring. You know what I'm talking about? Selling the, selling the prayer cloth with his sweat on it for $35, you know, for a miracle. Uh, and they always host, they always say a lot of these things, right? And I've, I've heard lots of different things. And listen, there are lots of excuses people can make. None of them are good for why you would not do what God so clearly tells you to do in Scripture. And here's what I found for people who are closed. Usually, they just don't want to obey God. I've watched, I know, don't worry, I'm not checking tithe records after church, I promise. Our church is, by the way, doing great. We've had a banner year. And here's what I know about honoring God in every area of your life. The Bible says that if his people stopped worshiping him, he would make the rocks do it. Here's what I know about, work, about walking with God. Jesus says he's going to build his church regardless of what any one of us does. All right? And you know what, what's funny is for the people who have that closed attitude, there are always people who pick up the slack. We just had a several hundred thousand dollar donation for a brand new playground out here for the school. Can I just tell you, those are people who take it seriously. And, 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 here, and here's the thing. The, the things that we always, here's, here's what we miss. When I'm talking about tithing, specifically the principle of first, it is not about God's house. It is about your house. It's about your posture, how you honor God. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you find yourself today, let's just go back to God's word. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. I believe we can grow if we humble ourselves and go back to the word. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, the wisest man who ever lived said, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first. Everyone say first. Major theme in Scripture. We're going to follow this idea first from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It's going to be powerful. With the first of your produce of your entire harvest. Now, I want to define the first. This is very, very important because in our world, okay, we like to be the center of attention. Much of your Christian life and how you grow, whether or not you grow, is removing yourself from the center and putting God in the center. So here's what first means. I have a definition to be head of, the original, to be before all, in preference to something else, the beginning, the foremost, in other words, not you. We have to start from this foundation. Did you know that even if God's not first in your life, he's still first? He's called the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Did you know that no matter whether or not we obey or not, God is still on his throne and he is still first. Many times as believers, here's what, here's, here's what we do. We say God's first with our lips, but then we act as though we're first and we put ourselves in the center of everything. 
If you look around our world, that's really the problem with our world right now. The problem is nobody honors God and puts him first, even though he is first, right? They put themselves first. And as a result, we see this complete degradation of civilization. And it all comes down to this principle. This is how Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first, everyone say first. There's that word again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. How many of you, by a show of hands, want God to meet every single need that you have? We love promises in the Bible. We love quoting and sharing promises. Our human nature has a tendency to emphasize the promise and to minimize the responsibility or the requirement. Let's go back to this passage. What's the requirement to God providing all of your needs? We must seek first, not second, not third, not an afterthought. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This principle of first I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you three fundamental ways to understand it. I'm going to get really, really practical to what, what, what the tithe actually looks like in our modern context. Okay, the first principle of first we see, the firstborn belongs to God. We see this theme in scripture. Exodus chapter 30, verse 12 says this, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Now, this is actually uh, kind of funny because you're probably thinking in your mind, uh, Pastor, you wonder why we always quote the easy scriptures. It's because what in the world do donkeys and lambs have to do with Jesus, with the word? What in the world could I learn from this passage? Every time you read something in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, it's always a picture of a reality in the New Testament, right? It's a picture or a practice where you can learn more about who God is. And at first glance, and I know you get to Exodus, and then you have Leviticus, then you have all of these, you're just sitting here thinking, this just seems so complicated. All of these animals, all of these sacrifices, okay? There's a couple things that I want to pull out, but first I want to quote uh, the Apostle Paul, and then we're going to go back to the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Paul says to the church at Corinth, who struggled with the same verses, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction. So every single thing we see in the Old Testament, we can learn from. So let's go back to that passage in Exodus, if you don't mind putting that back on the screen. So here we see that every firstborn male, right, is to be dedicated to God. Every firstborn. And then it talks about a donkey. Donkeys were considered to be unclean. Then everything that's unclean, every unclean animal, must be redeemed with the sacrifice of a clean animal. This is at its core, the principle of First. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. Every one of us in this room was born clean or unclean. Are we the lamb or the donkey? We're the donkey. Think about it for just a minute. Some of us act more like that than others. Come on, somebody. Every one of us were born a sinner, yes or no? But Jesus, the firstborn, son of God, lamb of God, as scripture teaches him, was he clean or unclean? Because we're unclean, we needed to have clean, someone clean sacrifice, be sacrificed for us. That way we were redeemed by the spotless lamb of God. We're unclean. We're all born sinners. Jesus is clean. He sacrificed for us. That's the way we actually know God. The principle of the first is the foundation of the gospel. A couple things with the principle of first. 
The firstborn is given before there's promise of another one. I remember when I first, when you first got married, I had in my, I, my mind, I wanted to have six kids. I don't know why it just sounded good. And then we had our first and I decided we're going to go one at a time. Come on, somebody. Right? But we had our first. We didn't have a promise of anything else. Many times when you begin obeying God, you're doing it in faith. There's a faith principle to the firstborn sacrifice. There's a faith principle. God says, I want you to trust me. Trust me and see what I give after. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Jesus did. God offered Christ in faith for us before any of us would believe. Not only before any of us would believe, but we were actually the ones that killed the sacrifice for us. You see, it's a principle of God's word. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So the firstborn belongs to God. Here's the second thing you need to know. The first fruits belong to the Lord. You're going to see this term constantly in form of sacrifices, right? Bringing offerings and tithes. This idea of first fruits. Again, the principle of first is nested in this. Exodus 23, verse 19. Bring the best of the first. Everyone say first. There it is. It's just everywhere. Of the first fruits of your land into the house of the Lord your God. The word there is the word tenth. It means master. It literally means the first 10%. The first tenth. How many dimes are in a dollar? Not all of them are the tithe. The first dime in the dollar is the tithe. That's important. I get this question all the time. Where should I tithe my first fruits? Where it says it, the house of the Lord. Where do you get fed? Lots of military people come in and out of the church. They love this church, man. It's awesome. I don't believe there's any other church like it. I, I, you should love your church most. Come on, somebody. You should. But people leave and they want to go. Yeah, and they're, they're thinking, well, Pastor, we love this church so much. We're going to this other place, but we're going to keep tithing to this church. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because I will not steal what belongs to someone else. You tithe where your feet are, where you're getting fed, where they're starting schools, right? Christian schools as a Christian classical alternative to public education and secular indoctrination. You guys see the billboard? Pretty cool, huh? Where they're actually doing something, where they're helping you grow in your faith, where you went to membership university and they showed you all the things they have in place to help you grow, where you're growing up and into the body, you return it to the house. That's where it goes. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first, everyone say first, produce of your entire harvest. You tithe on your increase. Your increase is anything you get that makes your bank account go up. We would call this deposits, not the credits, the deposit part, right? You tithe on that part. You know, this can be difficult and it's hard because a lot of times here's what we think. We think that when we have more, we'll give more. That's not statistically true. You know, the people that actually fund this church, they're the people that make the least. They give more, not just by percentage, but also by bulk than the people who make a lot more. Do you know that? Here's the principle. When you're faithful with little, you can be trusted with more. That's the principle. When you learn how to be faithful where you are and to trust God, then you grow in that trust as he get, puts more into your hand. That's the principle. I heard a pastor say it this way. He had a guy in his church uh, when he was going to college, he learned this principle and he started honoring God with the tithe. At the time he was making like, I don't know, like 1800 bucks a month, right? He was tithing on that. Does anybody know what a tithe of $1,800 a month is? $180 for some of you are grabbing your smartphone. I just want to remind you that the reason they call it a smartphone has nothing to do with you. Okay, it's funny. Come on, come on, that's funny. Come on, right? He taught him. 
He started putting in the practices. He started honoring God in that first way, but then it was easier to honor God in other ways. Did you know that if you honor God in the most tangible, it's easier to honor him when he tells you to do other things, right? It is. He started honoring him and God started blessing him. This guy was making $200,000 a year. Went back up to the pastor 10 years later. Said, pastor, remember when you taught this? Oh yeah, I remember that. Man, look how much God's blessed my life. Yeah, I remember that. He looks at the pastor, he says, pastor, pastor, I'm really struggling. I need your prayer. And the pastor goes, of course, what do you need? Well, you know, when I started way back then, it was just a little bit, it was $180. But now, man, when I write that tithe for $200,000 a year, man, it's just hard. I mean, it's a real struggle. Would you pray for me? The pastor said, I will absolutely pray for you right now. Bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray. God, I pray. First of all, God, I thank you for how much you've blessed Jim. I thank you, Father, for where he came from. I thank you, Father, that at every step he puts you first, you blessed him. But God, Tim's really struggling. He's struggling to honor you. God, I pray that you would reduce his income back to the level where he can trust you. <laughs> Tim goes, wait, stop it. Don't say anything. And he says, don't pray that. He said, I'm praying that every single day. Here's the point. It's not about money. It's never been about God's house. It's always been about your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. With just our mouth, what do they say? Put your what where your what is. Put your money where your mouth is. We see this in Jericho. You might remember the story of Joshua. He's going into the promised land and there's 10 cities. Ironic, 10 cities. God says, I want the first one. And by the way, you're not even gonna conquer that. I'm gonna do most of the work. March around the city for seven days. On the seventh day, go around seven times. Blow the ram's horn and the walls are gonna fall. Here's the catch. It all belongs to me. You have to return it to me. He says this in Joshua 6, 19, for all the silver and gold, the articles of the bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. Why in the world did God demand the first city? Because he wanted to teach his people faith. God gave them the first city to prove to them that he is able, he is big enough, that they should put their trust in him, not in the gifts he gives them. And that's where the greatest blessing comes. That's what we see. We also have, I people all the time tell me, well, that's, that's Old Testament, you know? The tithe is Old Testament. No, there's principles. We'll talk about that a little later. It's a principle. It predates the law, and it's after the law. Go back to the very first story of born people in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. You might know Cain and Abel. Let's read this passage. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the first. Everyone say first. There it is again. The first people with belly buttons. No, Adam and Eve did not have belly buttons. Some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard and accepted Abel and his offering, but did not have regard for Cain or his. Think about this for just a moment. In the course of time, Cain brought whatever he wanted, whenever he felt like it, to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, paid attention, and brought the best. God accepted, because of honor, Abel, and did not accept Cain. This is so much bigger than money. This principle will change your life if you'll get it, because it's about honor. Look at our world today. A hundred years ago, we honored God a lot more than we do today. You know what came after this first act of born disobedience? You know what came after? The first time the shedding of innocent blood happened. You might know the story. 
Cain, instead of doing what was right, because he knew what was right, instead of actually obeying God, he decided that he would kill the ideal, which was Abel. He picks up his rock, a rock in the field and slays Abel. It's the first time we see the shedding of innocent blood. Do you know why I believe our nation is so okay with the shedding of innocent blood in the womb? Because we don't honor God. You know why we don't, you know why we don't mind murderers getting set free? And you know why we shame the victim and let the victimizer go free? Because when you're cruel to the kind, you'll be kind to the, or when you're kind to the cruel, you'll be cruel to the kind. You don't honor God. When a culture moves away from God, just like when a family moves away from God, right? Distortion and destruction follow. The first time the shedding of innocent blood happened was because man did not obey God. The first king of Israel, Saul, lost the entire kingdom. And here was was the moral of the story. Obedience over sacrifice. Don't pretend your sacrifice means anything if you can't do what I say. What's the first thing we teach our kids? The most godly thing you can teach a young person that's growing up, this is the only answer you need as a parent. Because I said so. If they can't learn because I said so, they won't learn any other thing. As you know, it's the same thing as a believer. You know what the tithe teaches you? Man, that's tough. It's real sacrifice. Right? You have to actually obey. It teaches you to obey. When you learn to obey, it's like a domino. All of a sudden, everything else is easier. Your life goes better. It's just true. Next, we see that the tithe belongs to the Lord. Leviticus 27.30, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. What I want to do for the next few moments, I'm going to break down for five minutes what this practically looks like. And here's, I'm going to say this just up front. Again, the church is fine. We've had a banner year. We're starting so many things, doing so many things because of the faithfulness of people who say yes and obey God. That will always be enough. God will always make up the difference, but here's the problem with that. You will never get to experience what it's like to meet a need. We all know that this is true. My kids right now, we went to Rainforest Cafe, which is like a... Anyways, we went. And my kids are just, they're loving consuming and all the stuff on the menu and the birds and the expensive toys that are junk. And, you know, just, just they're grinding stuff. And they literally think they're living their best life consuming, taking I know they don't. I know they're not. Because when you've been able to say yes to someone in need and see the joy on their face, that's so much better than anything you can consume. The problem in the church is not believers are stingy. That's not true. You take, yes, even the church in the United States, you take their money out of world missions, the gospel stops going forward. The church in the United States is wildly generous. The problem in many of our churches, because we won't honor God with the tithe, we're broke and we don't have enough. It's very difficult to meet a need when you can't even feed yourself. You know, God didn't call you to live that way. And you'll never be able to get out of that until you realize that he's big enough, that it all comes from him and you have to put him first. That's the first step to building wealth God's way, is putting God first. So what does this look like? Understanding the tithe. When should I tithe? Good question. I get that question a lot. As soon as the increase comes. As soon as you see that, for me, it's the first and the 15th. It might be different for everyone else, but I get paid on the 1st and 15th. Some of you, maybe you're in sales. You get paid every few months, right? Some of you, maybe it's it's just different. You get paid every other week. Every single time you get increase, the Bible says, the first tenth, right? Before you even calculate if you have enough money for bills. That's the faith. That's the faith. It goes to God. Not a tenth, not after you paid your bills. 
And then you give it, well, there's no faith in that. Remember, it's not about money, it's about faith. It's about learning something about God, right? As soon as you get paid. Next, the tithe is a principle, not a law. That's important. A principle is actually stronger. It was put into the Jewish law for the nation of Israel, but the principle predated the law by thousands of years. We saw it in Melchizedek and Abraham. We saw it in Cain and Abel. Jesus affirmed it later in the New Testament several times. It didn't go away. Why? Because the principle was still there. It's throughout Scripture. All right? The tithe is a test. Everyone say test. It's a test. It's plain and simple. It's the only one in Scripture, by the way. The only one where God says, test me. Malachi 3.10. I'm going I'm to give just a little bit of context to Malachi. Malachi is the very last book in the, New, in the Old Testament. People had, the people of God had completely walked the other direction. Been given multiple warnings. Multiple warnings. Malachi was a prophet. The people were crying out. It's not going good with us. Our culture's falling apart. We're being taken out in every way. We're being conquered over and over and over again. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, over and over again. What do we do? Malachi says, you need to go back to what you used to do. He takes them back to honor. You're robbing God. Stop robbing God. This is what he says about the tithe. Bring the full tenth. I love this. People think that partial obedience is obedience. It's not. The full tenth. That's really funny because the word's master. It literally means the first ten percent. Why would he need to be redundant and say the full tenth? Because people say, well, I'll give two percent as my tithe. That's not a tithe. You see, the tithe is you obey or you don't obey. It's all or nothing. It's I'm all the way in or the not. You don't, you don't split that up. You trust God. Does that make sense? The blessing doesn't come without the full tithe. All right? Into the storehouse, that's your church, so that there may be food in your house. Look what he says. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not open the floodgates. Another translation says windows. I like windows better because windows shows how God actually blesses you. He doesn't send you a publisher's clearinghouse check. And I want to talk to you about the blessing. Okay? God's not in the, ble- God's not in the business of blessing and cursing. It's not what he does. The blessing's attached to the act of obedience. Everything in this world is already cursed. Your stuff is already cursed. That's why it breaks down. Come on. Does your kid's room get cleaner? Does your body get, you know, more fragrant? No, it gets smellier. Everything in this world is under, it's under a certain set of rules. God's actually saying, when you obey me, it's like a hedge of protection. You cover. You cover it. You cover it, and it's always enough. Also, the floodgates, those are windows or channels of blessing into your life. The ideas. Some of you in here, you're entrepreneurial. The entrepreneur in here, you better learn to put God first. If you don't learn when you're younger, you'll never learn. It's really hard for you because you're always going to the next great idea. You know, God blesses your ideas, right? There's channels of blessing, right? There's multiple channels. And you know what? It's also not just money that they're talking about here. It's in every area of your life. The relationships you need to raise godly parents or raise godly kids. You're going to need some people for that, you know? You're going to need a community of people. You're going to need God to bring blessings into your life that are so much. You guys know this is true. There are more important things than stuff and money, right? The word blessing there is all-encompassing in your life. The tithe is a test. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. How many of you want more than enough so you can give it away? Come on. I know we do. The church's problem isn't a generosity problem. It's a broke problem, <laughs> right? We all want it. Here's the requirement. You have to honor God first with your possessions. Next, we see the tithe is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. That's why we have it in worship. 
because it's worship. 90% of our church gives online. So why in the world do we still pass the bucket? It's called a container. Sorry. (laughs) Container. They're real picky about that here. Why do we do that? As a reminder, my tithe comes out automatically. But every time that bucket goes by, I go, God, I've done what you've asked me to do. I'm in obedience. Now you're going to make up the rest. And guess what? I have a lot of the rest that I need your help with. There's something settling about that, right? Matthew 5, 15, 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You can talk a big game, but at the end of the day, the Bible says, well, let's look at the fruit. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's powerful. And it's one of those things, I remember early on, Kyle and I were married. I'll tell a couple stories, if it's okay. I got the mic, I'm gonna do it anyways. Kyle and I first got married, we had no money, just wedding money, no job. God called us to move to St. Louis. She turned 18 in April, we got married in June, 19, almost 20 years ago. Moved to St. Louis in July. We're there, we have nothing. First and last month of rent, we didn't even understand that. But money was gone, it's tight. I looked at my wife, I said, honey, I don't think we can do it this month. I don't think we can afford to tithe. You know what she said back to me? She came from a godly household where her parents taught her this. She was just as scared as I was, especially with my prospects. <laughs> she was. And she said, you know what? You're thinking about this wrong. We can't afford not to. It was the first thing. And I'm telling you, it was a domino in our early, early life. And this doesn't come naturally, but every parent knows this. Every parent knows it. At Christmas time, you have two kids, close in age. You're almost done with all the presents until one starts whining that the other one got one more present. And how does that make you feel? Like Cain, right before he killed Abel. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Mad, frustrated. Why? Because they failed the test. Why in the world do they care about how many presents? What are you talking about? All of those presents are gifts from you. I remember one time we're sitting in Chick-fil-A, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. They're not open on Sunday, so you're going to want it really bad. So they have these waffle fries that are just like, so good. But don't ever look at the calories. It'll ruin it. Too much information. TMI, I don't care. But I looked at it one day, and they're so bad for you. So I never order them anymore because my kids never finish them. So I just eat my, you know, the kids. Is. And I, and I, it was like an inch on my waist. It was awesome. But anyways, so one, one day, Addie, uh, was the only kid we have, She's sitting, and she always, always takes stuff off her plate, you know? I reach for a fry. She slaps my hand. <laughs> she slaps my hand and says, no, Papa, that's mine. I said, Phew. it's an opportunity. I give her another chance. I reach. She slaps my hand again. Fail. That's why we need dads and moms. Mom cleaned it up. I grabbed her shoulders turned her shoulders to me. You know what I'm talking about, parents? Don't let, don't let your parents, don't let your kids do that. Square their shoulders. Make them look at you. I said, I looked at her. I looked her in the eye. I said, little girl. <laughs> I said, little girl, as far as you're concerned, I'm the God of the fries. <laughs> I said, you can return unto me a tithe of the fries and I can open up the windows of Chick-fil-A and rain down on you so many fries you wouldn't even be able to eat them all. Or, or, I can close it down and you will never have another fry for the rest of your life. 
returning to me the tithe of the fries. You see the point? It's funny. It's funny. But that test doesn't really change. Here's the big thing we've got to remember as we close. The tithe points to Jesus. It does. Everything in this book, cover to cover, points to Christ. Every single thing. Every single thing. When we take communion, we break that bread. That's the body of Christ broken. Why do we do it? To remember that. When we drink that cup, that's his blood that was spilt for us. There was a sacrifice that was needed to redeem an unclean person. When we are baptized, we go under the water and die as a symbol, just like Christ went into the ground and we come up as new creations. You know what happens every time you return the tithe? You remember that God did it first. Before there was ever a promise that any of us would ever follow him, before we were even remotely deserving as if we ever can be, God sacrificed his firstborn son for you and me. I'm going to close with this passage, Romans 5, 8. But God proves, doesn't just talk. It says he proved it. He proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You will never, ever regret putting God first in your life. And it starts with the principle of first and the tithe. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. Your mercy, Father, doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. Your grace gives us the goodness that we could never deserve. And we thank you for both, God. We need both this side of heaven to grow. Father, I pray for each and every person here. I pray, God, that whatever the seed was they needed in their heart, maybe I was preaching to the choir, they needed a fresh understanding of the why. Maybe they stopped forgetting Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, and they just needed to remember because they were getting religious about it. It had lost its joy. I pray, Father, that you would establish, reestablish rather that joy. Father, for those that are curious, they don't, they don't really know. Well, now they do. I pray, God, that you would give them the courage, Father, that the faith in them to take the step and that you, like you always do, Father, when they pass the test, well, God, you'd show yourself faithful in everything you've promised to them. I pray for those that are closed. I pray, God, that something in your word would soften that hard heart. For Father, it is an ugly thing for somebody who claims to be a Christian to withhold from the one they claim to worship. I pray, God, you would soften their heart and they'd make a change. Father, I also pray more important than this, that anybody in here that doesn't know you, I pray by your Holy Spirit, they would surrender their life to you, that they would leave this place different than they came in. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around, we're almost done. I believe one of the most important things that we do in every service, every single time, is we create a place and a space for people far from God to draw near to him. Maybe you're in here and you're far from God. Your next step is, has nothing to do with the tithe but you do need to think about the principle of first. Christ went first for you. And I don't have to get a magnifying glass out to look at your life. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna single you out. Nothing's gonna get weird, but you have to be honest. Honest. Bible says that God's attracted to the humble, that pride actually resists him. Maybe you're in here today and as you've heard the word preached, you realize you're far from God. Maybe at one point you followed him, but you're not following him today. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ there's something pulling at your heart to do so, that's God himself. 
pleading with you. You will never be all that God created you to be, which is way more than you are or can ever be on your own without him. That's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out, call you forward. But if you're in here, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from God. I don't want to be. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. If you'd want me to include you in that prayer, would you just put your hand up halfway? Is there anybody here? Say, that's me. I see you. Thank you. Hands are up all over the room. Put your hand up and put it right back down. You're just acknowledging. Hey, that's me. Jesus actually said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my father. But if you won't, I won't. Is there anyone else? You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from God. I don't want to be. Just lift your hand up. I see you. You can put it, put it right down. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. As a matter of fact, the people next to you who love God and follow Christ, we're going to pray this prayer loud as well just to encourage your faith. But if you raise your hand and you really meant it, I want you to say this prayer just loud enough where you can hear your own voice. Something you have to understand about God is he is not a tyrant, a bully. He's not going to make you do anything. He only invites you to surrender. You have to make the choice. I'm going to lead you in a prayer based on Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It's an act of free will, inviting God into your life by accepting what he did for you on the cross and then putting your life and your future under the power of the resurrection. It's a on-ramp, not a parking spot. It's a first step to many other steps. I believe God's going to meet you in this step if you really mean it. On the other side of it, we're going to give you some instruction for how to grow and steps to take. My encouragement to you is to do every single thing that we ask. You're going to need help to grow in your faith. And it's going to take time to take root. But God's with you. Church, we're also with them. Let's pray this prayer all together. Everyone pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed on the cross. I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you defeated death to give me life. Today of my own free will, I choose that life. I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. Jesus, I am yours. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together.